Art takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is neither dead nor Presley, has had great rock hair at times, and just like Tramps, maybe he was born to run. He is here to defy hair metal's death rattle and cheese to make a case that Warren's album Cherry Pie, best known for its over-the-top titular single, is actually one of the best rock albums from that era. Everyone is wrong, but Carrie Sherman isn't. Thanks for coming on, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Seth. We are here in person. This is neat. I haven't done one of these. All mine have been over Zoom so far, and I am sitting in your apartment, and there's a dog, and we ate some curry, and it's good times. Yes, and it's, it's very hot. I, I am already sweaty. Yes, but it's okay. You are not shirtless, unlike Nate when he recorded the Space Jam pods, so you're keeping it slightly classier. Not that I have any shots at Nate. Um, anyway, that's a good introduction for this sweaty, sexy album in certain ways, both good and bad. Uh, so let's get into the background of Warrant's Cherry Pie. Cherry Pie is the second album by Los Angeles rock band Warrant. The album was released on September 11th, 1990. The band's debut album, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking, Rich, came out the prior year and went double platinum, propelled by one of the era's signature power ballads, Heaven, which peaked at number two on the charts. Cherry Pie is a 12-track album, which reached number seven on the charts, selling over two million copies. The album is best known for its eponymous lead single, Cherry Pie, which hit number 10 on the Billboard charts, and for better and mostly worse, came to define the band. The song, which serves as the first track on the album, wasn't originally on the record, but the Sony label executive said that the album needed an anthemic rock single, and in response, singer Janny Lane wrote Cherry Pie allegedly in 15 minutes as a sort of F you to the label, full of stupid sex references. And unfortunately, people are dumb. <laughs> and the song took off because people took it totally seriously in 1990. And it was even named the 56th best hard rock song of all time by VH1 in 2009, which, woof. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> we'll get in we'll get into Carrie who is defending this album's thoughts on Cherry Pie shortly. But the album came out right as 80s glam hair metal sound that Warrant peddled in was going out of style and would soon become a punchline. Grunge soon took over and Warrant's genre basically became mocked out of mainstream existence. As time passed, more people rejected the single as a dumb sexist embodiment of the era and that largely became Warren's legacy and the band became a punchline more or less. Those that still value hair metal do actually hold this album in fairly high esteem but that's kind of a big caveat the people that value hair metal. Rolling Stone ranked it as number 20 on their top 50 hair metal albums list and Pop Matters listed it as one of their 10 essential glam metal albums. But critical opinion when the album was released wasn't exactly glowing. The best review from the time that I could find came from All Music, which gave it four out of five stars. 
Entertainment Weekly gave the album a C grade at the time of its release, and then a C minus grade a year later as part of another story, which is weird that it just lost its luster. Rolling Stone gave the album two out of five stars, with John Mendelssohn writing, Ultimately, these guys are about nothing more than their yearning for wealth and sexual power. Virtually every grunt, every shriek, every 64th note triplet guitar figure, every pout and tattoo and pelvic thrust in their oeuvre seems calculated to induce white suburban teenagers to marvel and yell rock and roll and spend more money on warrant product. In short, warrant is new kids on the block with nipple length hair and martial amps. (laughs) Nipple length hair. Nipple length oh, hair I, is a oh, I get it. It's long. It, go, it goes all the way down to your nipple. It's a very weird description from Rolling Stone. Yeah. Also, like that review, I didn't mention that, but it starts out just like the first paragraph is just like, these guys are good looking. They'll probably be successful on that because that's the era we're in. It's like a weird thing to start an album review just like talking about their physical appearances. Why? Why is he using this band to say like, are we pretending that hair metal it was supposed to be some like really artistic like re, uh, like uh, th- that's a lot of thought went into this this music because he, that's not the case. And yeah. So he's he's, he's <laughs> they're making them a martyr. Yeah. Or, or a pariah. I don't know what the right word is for that, but yeah, it's it seems a little, especially considering it was 1990. It's just like oh, you're catching on to this now that like this might be a very shallow commercial brand of music. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Hometown paper, the Los Angeles Times, was only slightly more kind with a 2.5 out of 5 star review with Dennis Hunt saying, and I I like this right up a lot, so I'm reading a good chunk of it. Much of Warren's success is due to its clever pandering to the sexism rampant among young metal maniacs. On its second album, which features mostly high-powered rockers, Warrant is at its macho best with the queen-influenced Cherry Pie, a raunchy ode to a sex pot, and Love in Stereo, which celebrates having sex with two women simultaneously. But there's a strange twist to the album, and by pop metal's rather low standards, it's fairly impressive. Warrant's women-as-sex-object stance doesn't pervade the entire album. On several songs, Bed of Roses and Ballads, Blind Faith and I Saw Red, women are actually regarded as human beings. Warren had better watch it. Hearing those unusually tender, for this genre, ballads, some metal fans might think the band has gone soft. Showing too much sensitivity towards women's feelings is a quick way to kill off a budding pop metal career. So it's it's kind of acknowledging that there's stuff on here, but it's like, hey, like you can't have it both ways. Yeah, it's it's damning, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, Carrie, what what kind of is your before we dive into it? What is your relationship to this album? Because you're not I wouldn't call you a hair metal super fan by like as your like main musical trait. Yes. And I feel the need to preface this entire conversation. I don't condone any of the any of the sexism or uh, the like overblown machismo that is hair metal. I will say that 
music's always been about girls. Music's always been about girls, and they just, they just, I think they, the, yeah, the pop music that's uh, the the radio pedals is often is almost always like either targeted at or you know, there's there's songs about little girls. Even going way back, there's songs about like really little girls. They're like, you're 14, and like, yeah, <laughs> like, but I'm still cool, and it's like you're like a 30 year old blues man. Yes. Uh, so no, I I grew up listening to a lot of different music my mom is really into music so r&b funk disco uh hair metal rock and roll i'm a huge classic rock fan i love the 60s the 70s uh aerosmith led zeppelin uh, bruce springsteen is my all-time favorite artist if you've met me for a second you probably know that yeah i can see like a line of springsteen vinyl album covers that adorn your wall just feet away from me right now and yeah Aerosmith I always knew you as like an Aerosmith guy and then you also played in a bunch of bands like in high school and stuff that like touched on emo music and all sorts of things so you're not yeah you're not there just like shredding trying to be Eddie Van Halen all the time yeah no definitely not and I I love a ton of different music I'm not gonna be that guy that's I have a very eclectic music taste I just I like what I like and I like things that are that are catchy and that I don't I like what I like but I do have a a soft spot for 80s hair metal I loved uh I love Motley Crue uh Warrant Poison Bon Jovi uh Cinderella Rat I I like all those bands all the bands that like were on like VH1 like behind the music like yeah the rise and fall of Rat yes uh Guns and Roses, even though I wouldn't exactly categorize them in that hair metal scene, yeah, they, they, you, you you could, and that would be fine. Big Guns and Roses fan, but you know, Warrant wasn't one of those bands that was really on my radar. I was in a band in 2010 called Strangle Valentino, and there was a guitar player and the guy that wrote all the songs. I just played guitar in that band. I didn't do anything. Uh, if you know Jordan Vocal, he's a he's an incredibly talented songwriter and guitar player, and this band was a pop punk band, but it originally started as kind of like an '80s hair metal thing. That, that like kind of like a tribute, not not like in a cover way, but like that was the you were drawing from that milieu. Yes, um, we didn't have a vocalist; we were just writing. He was writing these instrumental songs, and I was playing guitar over them. And I'm like 90 percent sure that he actually re-recorded my guitar parts <laughs> on those because they sound too good at that time. That was not. I don't think it was me. Anyway. So we listened to a lot of 80s hair metal, and he had turned me on to this band Warrant, and my only I, I was only viewing them through the lens of Cherry Pie like a lot of people. Right. Some people know Heaven, but like I didn't even remember that that was a Warrant song until I like was doing the prep for this. That's the one that, like, Heaven isn't too far away. Heaven isn't too far away. That's uh, that's also Warrant, actually before Cherry Pie, but then like Cherry Pie comes along and it just encompasses the persona of the band. Yes. So he he told me kind of the same thing that I'm going to talk about today. He's like, that record is really underrated and actually really good. There's a lot of good songs on it. And burned me a copy of it. And I had it in my car for probably like six months. Mm-hmm. And 
I was like, this is a really good record. Skip Cherry Pie every time. <laughs> really, really good record. And I've kind of like died on that hill for the last, what, 11 years. Uh, I, it's, I think it's underrated. I think they're an underrated band. Yeah. So if, like if I were to ask you, like, what's your favorite like hair metal band, Carrie? I would say Warrant and I would say my favorite hair metal record if we're not counting Guns N' Roses because I would probably say Appetite for Destruction but Warrant's Cherry Pie I think that's my favorite yeah it's it's the it's the one that you would at least be for sure in the genre because like Guns N' Roses kind of is that they're in that mix uh, they're you know the LA kind of same scene but it's definitely got more of that actual hard rock a little bit more of that punk rock yeah edge to it so it's they're kind of that you know in some ways sort of the bridge between this hair metal era and this grunge era where they kind of feel like sort of a midpoint between those even though they you might not naturally think of that even but it is like Duff McKagan became a big like Seattle music guy and that's where he's where he resides. Um, yeah, I'd say that's completely fair. I think that's a really good assessment of, of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. So with established that even the critics at the time didn't like them, and then that was before they became like, ha, 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 the Cherry Pie Band. Carrie, why is everybody wrong about Warren's Cherry Pie, the album, not the song? Yeah, thanks for that clarification, because my, my first point is that Cherry Pie is the worst, not only the worst song on that record, and it's not even close that it's the worst song on that record. It's the worst song they've ever written. And I think that everything that is said about that band is colored through a Cherry Pie lens. the first song on the record like you said in your intro this the album was originally going to be called uncle tom's cabin which is the second track on it and they wanted that to be the lead single for the record and they didn't think there was a hit on it they wanted that anthemic yeah, the label was just like no uncle tom's cabin's not it we need something more yeah and so like you said Janie lane went into a hotel room and wrote it in 15 minutes and you can tell it's written in 15 minutes it is about the most pandering uh formulaic 80s hair metal rock song you could possibly write and life happened and there's an interview with Janie Lane uh, <laughs> you could find this clip and I'll, I'll post it like on socials and stuff the one about how much he hates it how much he hates it and he said I could put a, a bullet in my head uh for having written cherry pie he's like I was I was doing next thing I know I was doing cherry pie eating contests like everything was cherry pie my life was cherry pie and yeah, actually, I'll just it's it's super dark and it is not a happy moment. As more and more acts scored commercial success with power ballads, pressure from the labels intensified. The formula was simple: metal bands were selling big and selling out. hate that song I had no intention of writing that song the record was done the record was called Uncle Tom's Cabin 
And Donnie Einer called up and said, I don't hear the single. You got to give me a single like Love in an Elevator. I need something like that. So that night I wrote Cherry Pie, sent it to him. He lived with it over the weekend. And all of a sudden, the album's called Cherry Pie. The record's called Cherry Pie. I'm doing Cherry Pie eating contests. The single's Cherry Pie, right? If I'm lying, I'm dying. And my legacy's Cherry Pie. Everything about me is Cherry Pie. I'm a Cherry Pie guy. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. Rough. It, it is rough. It, it, that, for me, if you take Cherry Pie off that record, it is a rock solid, absolutely rock solid album. The only song that I don't really like other than Cherry Pie on that record is Train Train. Mm-hmm. And Which is like the last song. And it's a cover. Yeah. They didn't write it. Like, it, Yeah. It's so yeah. That's the thing is, I think it's a good first point because it just like, even though it's not in defense of the record, it's basically like, look, just get rid of this, just skip to track two, and then let's start the conversation. And I I also think it's like, cherry pie is so dumb. It's like all the verses are just saying swinging for different <laughs> things. It's just them basically being like, fucking to the left, fucking to the right, like all this stuff. It's just swinging. It's just so dumb. And it's weird because it's like clearly from the story Lane tells, it was like intentionally like an FU. It was supposed to be like, look, this is the worst joke, like a parody basically of his own, like the worst parts of his own genre. But then it like the joke kind of took on a life of its own and then it became its own thing. So like, it's like the perfect example of like sellout gone wrong where they're like, okay, we'll give you this stupid song. Oh wait, you like this stupid song. We're just going to go with it. And then it just like eats it up. Cause there's lots of, there's lots of versions of this where it's sometimes hard to lose track. Like I think of like the Josie and the Pussycats movie where it's like, all about like subliminal advertising and the way to do it is they have to advertise a ton of stuff. And it's just always (laughs) walking this line of like, there's so much product placement in this movie that's making fun of product placement. And you're like, but I think it still like sticks the landing or like fear fun. The album by father John Misty is basically like making fun of all these like classic rock tropes and like the rambling rock man. But then like a lot of people didn't pick up that it was, satire so everybody started taking it seriously (laughs) and then he like sort of be father john missy sort of became this character that's like i'm not this was a joke and all of you aren't getting that it's a joke but he's at least still like if you hear him talk or you know hear some of the music it's like oh no clearly like screw all you for like not getting that this is supposed to be a joke and not like totally serious. You're taking me at face value. And it seemed like Warren just like lost the thread somewhere along the line. And it just, you know, they didn't have like mocking fun with it. Like, I think they would have been a lot better off at the time if they would have just been like, 
yeah, this song's kind of dumb, but like you like it. So whatever, you know, <laughs> like there are bands like that, that like vocally hate their singles. Yeah. You know, like modest mouse doesn't play float on and I've seen them in concert. Like they try not to, but I've seen them play it in concert and they're like, I guess we're going to play this song. So like whatever, but like warrant never seemed to get that spot. And if they had done that earlier, I think they could have like, grab the wheel that was swerving away from them and get a hold of that narrative maybe a little bit better. Yeah, I think so. I think that they had to, they were part of this, they were at the tail end of hair metal and they were part of this machine and there was a formula to these successful hair metal acts and the label knew what that was and they knew that they didn't have that thing for this record and so they made them do it and they just had to ride that wave and I think, and I'll talk about this later, Janie Lane being an actual proper songwriter I think it just hurt his soul to have to to do that and that that was his legacy. I mean, he talked about that in the interview. It's sad. Yeah. And again, like even like when in the song, like there's the guitar solo, they bring in CeCe DeVille to do a guitar solo, poison CeCe DeVille to do like the guitar solo on the song. And after it, they're like trained professional, like they're mocking. They are aware that they're mocking it and they just lost hold of the joke at some point. Yeah. As an aside, uh, they're, two guitar players didn't play on that record at all. They had to bring in session musicians because their, their guitar players weren't, weren't shredders. Like mm-hmm. you had to, th- there was the kind of like a, a formula for, for a lot of rock bands that you had the singer and then you had your like Mick, you, you had your Mick Jagger and your Keith Richards, you had your John and your Paul, whatever. And so you had like poison had Brett Michaels and CC DeVille, uh, Bon Jovi had John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora Def Leppard had whatever the singer's name and, and then the guitar player, Phil Collin. The only reason I know his name is because it sounds like Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have that shredder. It was just Janie Lane. They didn't have a very good guitar player. And so they had to bring in these other guitar players for this record to add that ripping guitar that is kind of was necessary for the formula. Right. And I just feel badly that they wrote the album they wanted to. <laughs> and I think it's good songwriting, but they... That just ruined everything. It derailed everything. It's all like in this huge shadow that is cast by Cherry Pie. And it's the stripper song now. It's that and Pour Some Sugar on Me. And it's just, they're they're a complete joke because of it. It's sad. Yeah. But transitioning to the actual music that is not Cherry Pie, your second point is? My second point being that Janie Lane is a, a proper songwriter and a tremendously underrated songwriter in that era he wrote all of these songs and if you look at everything after cherry pie uncle tom's cabin mr rainmaker i saw red blind faith you're the only hell your mama ever raised Mm -hmm. all of those songs are extremely well done well composed well constructed he knows what he's doing from a songwriting perspective and you don't hear this a lot in 80s music but doing like the in Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. he does like the half, the first chorus is a half chorus. He gives you a little teaser. And then when the second chorus pops in, it is just big and huge. I know a secret that I just can't tell I know a secret 
okay, like I get it now. It's just, he, he does a really good job of, of composing a song. And I don't think a lot of eighties hair metal artists know how to do that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Even like uncle Tom's cabin comes right after cherry pie on the, like it just would have been the first song if cherry pie didn't come along. And it's so jarring. Even just like, it starts with like this finger picking and like, it's such like a harsh come out, like so clearly the difference between what they wanted originally to like start the album in cherry pie. It just like, it like grabs you how different the tone is. And it's just like a like murder ballad song that weirdly is called uncle Tom's cabin (laughs) because it's just like, it's like the uncle Tom in this is like in the story is this guy and his uncle Tom who has a cabin. Yes. And they find out a murder. No, it doesn't have anything to do with like Harriet Beecher Stowe. And it's just like, that's a really weird, like it's a really weird pull. The choice is very strange, but like the song is kind of like dark and brooding and just very, very different than that. And you know, like other songs you mentioned, like Mr. Rainmaker is a super catchy song. enjoy that one that might be my favorite track on this album that's my favorite warren song is, is mr rainmaker yeah it's it's got the very like the girl is sunshine driving away the rain but it's just kind of hits like the perfect things of like hair, hair metal like just even like the pitching on the song and when it raises when it, yeah, it modulates like twice which is cool mm-hmm. it's yeah it there's lots of good music to i think mine out here there and you mentioned the guitar players were brought out but the, yeah the musicianship on this album is nothing to scoff at either yeah the it's just i i was thinking about this and you know the, the nashville scene right now is dominated by people that write songs for other artists mm-hmm. if that was a thing in the 80s Janie Lane could have had a completely different career just writing yeah, just writing songs for Bon Jovi, for Def Leppard, for Poison, for all these bands. Like he I I don't know. I don't I don't feel like I'm, I'm I have like a lens with this. I as a as a songwriter and a musician, I, I think I'm looking at this objectively because I don't have any like emotional ties to warrant. Almost every song on this album is just really good for for the genre and catchy musically. It's mm-hmm. The melodies, the choruses—it's—it's it's just well constructed, and I just—it's just a bummer that. Yeah, I mean, so "Bed of Roses" is a song that I think the course—I don't necessarily like that song that much, but I think the like how it's produced basically 
Bo Hill on this album is the producer, and it's just like hair metal to the extreme production. Yeah. But like the core of Bed of Roses, I think would work if you like stripped it away and like gave it to like a twee artist. It would like work as a song. It would be like, oh, this is kind of nice. The core songs in a lot of these are very solid, much more solid than a lot of the music of the era. Though I also would, to counter that point, I would also point out that like Cherry Pie isn't the only like crazy, like, woo, sexy times song on this album. No, no. So there are, you can't be like, well, that was the only like, dumb sexism song that they like threw out there's still a couple like uh love in stereo is a very like brash threesome song about like going to california and like girls are crazy there first time i went to california Yeah, and uh, sure feels good to me has one. First off, they always are referencing Susie uh, in a lot of these songs. It's just like Lane's go-to Dave. Yeah, I wanted to point out this, which is he writes a lot of good stuff. He writes some stuff that you're still like, that's a little cringe. Yes. Uh, So in sure feels good to me, there's a line: Susie, oh Susie, open the door. We won't be able to walk tomorrow. So we might as well do some more. <laughs> Again, I I don't can I'm 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 talking from like a songwriting perspective, yes. composing. Yeah, that stuff is cringy, and I will say about Love and Stereo, it is a douchey song. The stereo verse mono reference is clever. <laughs> that is a clever thing to think of. Yeah, I'll I'll grant that. I'll grant that for sure. But hey, let's we're an '80s hair metal band. We have a lot of sex or expected to have a lot of sex. Mm -hmm. Let's write a song about a threesome. That's a cool. Yeah, definitely. They're not. And again, they're not, I don't put them. I would never put eighties hair metal in the same category as like the rock giants Mm -hmm. because it existed in this very little pocket and it is, it is what it is and it is very formulaic. So yeah, there's definitely some cringy songs on this record. um, Subject matter wise. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think there's a decent comparison to be made between some uh, I, and I'm more of a fan of one but I think there is some like emo to hair metal crossover where it's just like <laughs> there's such clear genre things and there's so many things where it's just like oh these lyrics are like what hair metal it's just like oh yeah we're going out and having sex all the time and emo it's like 
oh, I'm being like creepily over obsessive. Yeah. It, there, there are some parallels there that work, but yeah, it is very much like, oh, I can, if you listen to this song, you're like, this came out between 1984 and 1990. And the same thing of like, oh, some of the emo song, like emo stuff. You're like, this came out between 2001 and 2010. Yes. <laughs> So this whole conversation is structured around the the lens of hair metal. So if we can say the same things, maybe not about Bon Jovi because he was actually kind of like a family man, but mm-hmm. but Poison and uh, and Cinderella and certainly Motley Crue. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to just jump into your next point? Yeah. Okay. So to that point, if I look at what is like what are widely regarded as the top hair metal albums uh, of all time, you've got Def Leppard's Hysteria, which I'm not going to argue with that. As far as hair metal goes, that's a very good record. A lot of hits, not a lot of fluff on the record. It, it, very good songwriting. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that one. They can have that. I'm not a huge Def Leppard fan, but I respect it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Poison, I think their "Open Up and Say Ah" record or their uh, what's their first record? Look, look what the cat dragged in, and then Bon Jovi's "Slippery When Wet," which are two. Right. Hair metal sta- like iconic staples. hair metal albums. Yes. If you're asking me to put Cherry Pie against those two, so Slippery One Wet has Wanted Dead or Alive, You Give Love a Bad Name, and Living on a Prayer. Right. Three. Just like awesome singles. Like Massive from the hits. Yeah. And, you know, th- songs that hold up, I think, like in not necessarily in like the these are classic rock songs, but like in the like rock of love like you know like kind of oh yeah these are these are fun pop rock songs yeah i i think and i listened to them again today just to make sure i was doing my due diligence that i didn't have cherry pie colored glasses on like trying to like <laughs> like self-fulfilling prophecy like yeah pro- proving my point i i listened to them again and i think aside from the big hits that were on those records a lot of fluff thin 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 songwriting and very, very pandering. Like, if you're going to accuse Warrant of pandering in some of their songs, I'm not saying you are, but just the general public, yes. then these two records are, are, are in the exact same boat. I, I It's much more enjoyable for me to listen to Cherry Pie than any Poison or Bon Jovi record. Right. So basically, the, just like the bands that still kind of are thought of somewhat warmly, even if it's maybe through a nostalgia lens, you know, they, they don't, they're not definitely not on a different plane than this band. That's considered a punchline. Yeah. And there's a decent, decent case to be made that this album is just as good. Yeah. I, I mean, again, some of the metal album lists had it as like top 20, but I think the one had it top 10 and I think, Oh yeah, you could probably, you can make a super solid case. There is when I'm, you know, I w- wasn't somebody who listened to a lot of these. This isn't necessarily my wheelhouse as much, even in like a part-time thing, but it's just like, I listened to this album twice today even. And you know, there's like two or three songs where I'm like, eh, no, not really. But like most of them are like, okay, I like that's at least like solid, which is again, for some of them, like, these fluff filled things where it's just like, Oh, we hit, we got three good singles and now we need to write eight songs to finish an album because we don't just do singles. Yeah. 
I, I think that's I think that's spot on. And I think there's some other reasons that they're not looked at the same as Poison and Bon Jovi, but uh, we can get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into we'll get into some of that a little bit later. So your fourth point, I think, also kind of has to deal with the music and the structure of many of these hair metal albums. Yeah, and, and we, I think we already already touched on them, but there's so you've got your hair metal bangers. So say Motley Crue's "Girls, Girls, Girls," or pretty much any Motley Crue song other than uh, what's that piano song they do? That's like the "Mama, I'm Coming Home." "Mama, I'm Coming Home." That's kind of their. It's, I wouldn't call it a ballad. I mean, I mean, if it's about it's about more than just a mom, but it's not it's not about a girl as far as I as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. But all that to say. Molly Crew is not aging well for me. Mm-hmm. And that's saying a lot of hair metal probably isn't aging well for a lot of <laughs> for people. For a lot of people. The hair metal people themselves are not aging well as they oh. continue <laughs> to pretend like they're not getting bald. Yes. Um, <laughs> gotta gotta get that bandana creeping lower and lower every year. <laughs> I think it's like on his eyebrows now. <laughs> uh, but no, so there there's there's the bangers and then there's the ballads. Yeah. So every rose has its thorn. Mm-hmm. Just oh like it's just what a heart wrenching '80s song written about a stripper that broke <laughs> Brett Michaels' heart. <laughs> the, the music video and the and the song it starts with a sigh. He goes, <sighs> and he rolls out of bed, and it's just it's sad, sad boy. But I think Warren did a good job of writing ballads again that were just well done. They didn't feel like they were pandering. I saw Red is an actually kind of kind of an emotional song allegedly it was written about a time where he walked in on his best friend and his girlfriend if the moon and stars should fall they'd be easy to replace i will lift you up to heaven and you will take their place when i saw them when i opened up the door i saw them yeah it's it's a it's a very good ballad it's basically yeah catching somebody cheating it's weird because it's structured in such like a bubber way where it's just like in the verses he's just like singing the praises of his girlfriend and just being like you're the best thing that ever happened to me like every day is brighter and then i caught (laughs) chorus hits i caught you cheating on him and then (laughs) the thing that's a bummer to me is the end line of the chorus is i don't think i'm gonna love you anymore he's not even sure like he catches it and he's just like "Ah." he's so he's like he's so enamored he's like i don't think i'm gonna keep this going because i so, but I'm not like it's not like I'm not gonna love you anymore or like we're through. It's just like I don't I don't think I'm. Oh, I love the lyric, uh, and I didn't need to see his face. I saw yours. I saw red, and then I closed the door. Is it just like all he cares about is that it's this girl that he loves, and she just 
He does. He's not even raging. He's just like seeing it. He's like doing that Brett Michaels sigh, and then like close the door. It's a very funny like mental picture if you set it up. Also, just the uh, the bridge of that song rules. That might be my favorite musical part. It just like gets like intense for like a second. Yeah, it's like got that like almost like it's going to go into like a thrash song and then like goes back into and then he uh, Lane jumps up a couple octaves. And yeah. Yeah. It, it, that song's super solid. Yeah. The, the balance. So as you mentioned, the hair metal genre is just like we're either doing power ballads or we're like trying to rip through it. And this album is really well sequenced because you never feel like you're in a rut with either one where you're like, oh, yeah, I've been just rocking too. I've been shaking my head, banging too hard. And now I need that relief and the relief comes. So I, I think that that works for sure. It just doesn't feel cheesy to me as much as hair metal can't feel cheesy. Like, I feel like I have to keep qualifying this because yeah. I don't want people it to be like... It is cheesy. By the way, you, like, you will listen to this album and you're like, this feels like super 1980s, though it is released in 1990. <laughs> and it will... A lot of... It's got tropes in it, but it's not... Aside from Cherry Pie, which is like, let's make fun of the tropes. Oh no, we are now the trope. It doesn't feel like... I saw Red doesn't feel like... It's just super standard power ballad. Yeah, I, and that goes back to my point. It, it feels written well. And same mm-hmm. thing with, uh, well, Bed of Roses. I don't know if that's necessarily a ballad or a blind faith. Thanks to you, now I Blind Faith does feel like a song, a power ballad that like was definitely some like hair metal couples like first like first dance song at their wedding. I like, had that same thought earlier. Yeah, it is. It feels so much like a wedding song if you are a hair metal person. Yeah. Oh, it is so in that pocket, so in that wheelhouse. I. It's not as interesting as ice i read but if you're playing ice i read at your wedding that's a problem <laughs> that yeah. is an issue i just think like th- this fourth point bleeds into a lot of the other points but it, i think it's just a matter of of respect for the songwriting and why i think that they deserve more more respect for for what they did as a band yeah and speaking to kind of like the bangers thing i just wanted to mention sure feels good to me which is also another song that I enjoy on this album it's full throttle in the way that like I feel like this song is like one half degree too glam away from being like a Judas Priest song like it kind of has that like that like you are like wait no this is this is a little too hair metal it's the production and kind of just the tones of the guitar and some of the tones that Lane is going for is like very in that hair metal 
typical range. But like if you if Judas Priest just like did this song, like there nobody would be like, that's a hair metal song. It would be like, oh no, that's just like another like Judas Priest song. Yeah. So they, they have like a little bit of genre. They're doing more interesting things musically than some of their contemporaries in the genre, I think. Yeah. And that's just, again, not to belabor the point. Yeah. But go but on to that, that's that's a testament to just good songwriting. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So I think we should head to our fifth and final point of defense, which is. I think this is probably the most important one, maybe other than Cherry Pie is a garbage song. <laughs> but they're so if you if you look at like on Wikipedia, will tell you they've been a band since '84. Mm-hmm. Well, they were banned since '84 because one of the members of the band had this band in high school. They didn't actually do anything. They didn't actually record and release a record until I think '89. '89 was the first, uh, which had the dirty, filthy whatever it is, yeah. which uh, had heaven on it. Yeah, Heaven and Down Boys, and by side note, the music video for Down Boys is hilarious. Full-on choreographed, like, guitar players, and it's it's funny. But they didn't release that until 89, and then that did well. And then Cherry Pie came out in 1990. And so you're, you're in the tail end of hair metal right before grunge just kneecaps them all. Yeah, I think the way that would be best to summarize this fifth point is just timing. And... Warrant did not have good timing with this record. No. And so I think there, there, there are two things is that the, the timing just didn't work. They didn't get enough momentum before grunge came. Before grunge came. Rogue wave wash everything yeah, away. Yeah, just like took their heads up. But I think coming late to the party like they did, they could easily, and they did, get accused, I think, of just pandering, of just kind of riding, riding this hair metal wave. Like there was already a formula, and they were going to use that formula. They just wanted to be formulaic and and be famous and i don't think that's true but i understand how people could think that right you know like they mentioned in some of the reviews like oh they're just trying to do everything in the most commercial way possible and i think that discounts some of like oh they mainly made the record that they wanted and then got a commercial thing tacked onto it and then all the reviews have to like that's the focus because it's the first single and it's already a hit by the time like they're reviewing everything. And yeah, I I was thinking about this. So to be specific on how bad the timing of this record was. So the album came out September 11th, 1990. Smells Like Teen Spirit was released on September 10th, 1991. <laughs> so like almost to the day, like a year after. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know it was that close. <laughs> after Cherry Pie came out. It's like, oh no, 
this music, get out of here with your hairspray. Get some flannels and meet us in the gym with some goth cheerleaders. <laughs> there, there's a funny story. Um, not fun. I, I find it funny. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of sad. <laughs> the dreams in which you're dying are the best you've ever had. Yes. Uh, okay. they're, they were the, their, their record label. Um, had I think it was either a platinum record from Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich, or Cherry Pie. And that was the first thing you would see when you walked into the uh, record label. And that was a point they felt taken care of. It was a point of pride for them. Well, after Cherry Pie came out, sometime in between there, they walked into the uh, studio, and in place of their record was an Alice in Chains gold, gold record. Not platinum, a gold record. And... That just signals, I think, the, the beginning of, of the end for them. They came too late. Right. And. Yeah. I mean, even like even in the t- chronology of things, like, again, you, they started in like 84. But like if this had came out like in 19, I think if this album had dropped in 1984, they would have been like huge. Like if it was like Van Halen's 1984 and Warren's Cherry Pie. Sure. It would have been just. They would have at least had a few more years of sustained success. Yes. They could have at least had like a five-year run where they were just like, oh, yeah, we're one of the top bands. We are. They could have been Bon Jovi. They could have been. Bon Jovi, Poison, Def Def Leppard, maybe. Uh, I I, I agree. I think they could have at least gone up another tier. Right. But I I think people are discounting how how much luck in – how much luck and timing goes into this kind of thing. Cause these, they, these guys were all in bands before, right? This is just the one that worked out and it just worked out too late. It's not really unfortunate. And even like contextualizing, like appetite for destruction came out in 1987. So this was like three years after appetite. So there had already been kind of a little bit of that move away from like peak pop glam metal. Yeah. So you were still like, even if you're, if you come out in 1985, it's like, oh, yeah, you are with that crop of bands. Mm-hmm. And even coming out a few years later, their first album came out two years after Appetite for Destruction. It's like coming up in the L.A. scene. It's like, well, Guns N' Roses are already here and you look soft compared to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Regardless. So there's already again, that's kind of that like Guns N' Roses sort of setting the table a little bit for grunge it's just like oh yeah there's like alternatives out there already and i mean if you want to go further it's like oh there's also you know that was when some of like you know indie more indie music was starting to happen not necessarily in like this la hotbed but like rem was happening and like the pixies were happening i was having a beer with a friend last night and thinking about this podcast this guy is a huge like hair metal fan mm-hmm. he's a huge metal fan in gen- in general but huge 80s you know butt rock arena rock whatever you want to call it uh and i asked him i was like hey you know you a fan of warrant and he goes oh like my band used to cover down boys i was like okay but you you weren't like into like cherry pie and he just goes no nah, man like by then i was just really into metallica yeah and uh, to, that, that, to that, totally that, david that, think that, about the that, other metal bands that, that, that says that, like, that says a lot it's just it it, it was a little pocket of time and they just caught the tail end of it. I think all of this contributed to to get sad for a moment. 
to like Janie Lane's leg- legacy and the struggles he had in his life of what he was defined as. And it's really sad that he, he died at age like 47 Yeah, from alcohol poisoning. And my band played Rock in the Rivers a couple of years ago and Warrant was playing that. And I just had no interest in seeing them without Janie Lane because he was Warrant. So it's a, the whole thing's a bummer, but it's a good record. Give it a shot. That's a good way to put it. I think, I think you will find more if you are just giving this album a try for the first time. I think you'll find more than you expected. You're pro- you might not love it in the way that Carrie loves it, but uh, there's there's stuff to be mined there. Before we head out, let's get to the junk drawer and have some miscellaneous thoughts. I think the first one that should be brought up is the last track on the album, which is Ode to Tipper Gore, which is just very zeitgeist of the time when Tipper Gore was trying to censor albums and putting on the parental advisory thing. So as a response, the last track is an edited together, really poorly edited together. Also clips of live shows that warrant did where they just say curse words. Yeah. Fucking shit. Fucking no shit. Fucking 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 and it's very strange and jarring and was like uh, just put on there so that the album could get a parental advisory. I think they I think there's one song that starts like, let's fucking go train, 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 uh, train, train starts with a swear word. And but other than that, there, there's like a clean version of this album that they released, yeah. obviously, because it was super easy because you just take off the one track and like that one word in the intro of one song. And other than that, it's like, I mean, it's a filthy album in some ways, but it's quote unquote, no curses. Yeah. And they're just swinging all around. What could that mean? Swinging. (laughs) You're swinging to the left and thinking about baseball. Um, (laughs) It's cherry pie is not a good song. Oh, (laughs) it's not a good song, but yeah, it weirdly like reminded me, and this is more our wheelhouse reminded me a little bit of like the Mark, Tom and Travis show. Yeah, oh, to- oh, totally. live album. How at the end of that, there's just like 40 tracks of them like saying dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but it's just like a much worse <laughs> edited version of that. In like, it's a very strange thing to be on this album. It's almost like a skit in a way, like a, like a hip hop skit, but for hair metal. It's odd. I would agree that it's 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 a very hard, uh, badass thing to do to just screw you, Tipper Gore. Um, yeah, it it does seem like the again like them kind of like not totally letting the joke get away from them. Like it's kind of funny, but it's just like is it funny enough to like put on the album and like <laughs> right that that whole that whole uh, like the testimony by D Snyder. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen that, that video that. When All they were musicians. testifying in front of like the Senate, it'd be like, don't censor me. What are you doing? This is dumb. Yeah. And it's uh, it's all just focus on metal because like that's all that it's that's all that the white people that were doing these were. It was like two live crew and like metal. Yeah. The the <laughs> the scary the scary minorities and the guys that looked like girls. Terrifying. They're still afraid of them. Yeah, so it's it's weird how not much has changed. Um, not much has changed, except no more hair metal, unless you go to state fairs and casinos. 
yeah. <laughs> um, the other the other thing I brought up, and you mentioned this, that like Train Train is a cover that is probably the worst like actual song on this album that was originally definitely that was originally supposed to be on this album. And I don't know why that's on there. It's strange because it doesn't really like fit with everything. And also it just feels like it's part of this like 80s mill new of like there were so many train songs. Yeah. Just like <laughs> there was like Crazy Train by Ozzy, uh, Downbound Train by Springsteen. There was yeah. Driver 8 by R.E.M. There was Homebound Train by Bon Jovi. There was Night Train by Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Night Train. By the way, this is a. I was, as I was doing research, there's some fun like Wikipedia's and like websites that are like, here's all the songs that are about trains. So if you want to go down a real like weird rabbit hole, train songs. Have you, a side note, have you uh, seen the show Metalocalypse? Uh, yes, I've seen some Metalocalypse. I don't watch like a bunch, but I've seen some episodes. There's and this will tie into a, another point, but there's an episode where um, all the members of Death Clock go down to the south to get in touch with like the the blues yeah and um there's this blues musician explaining like the famous blues songs and every one of them is like a train reference (laughs) yeah he's like the train the train keeps on coming on down the train track blues like and it's i think it's these i feel like it was warrant trying to say hey we're credible like we're all this is rooted in blues music like we're rock and roll and so they cover like a blues song they do the harmonica and it's supposed to give them some kind of like musical credibility that they were probably sensitive of not being taken seriously in the first place. Yeah. And that was, I think the all music review like mentioned kind of that thought of like, it looks like they're. it seems like they're without quoting it exactly. It seems like they're trying hard to be taken like more seriously though. What do they think critics are going to take them seriously? They're warrant. <laughs> like it's not going to happen guys. Like, was there any critic critically, well, I'm sure there was, like, critically acclaimed hair metal record? Maybe Def Leppard's Hysteria. That seems to be, like, the the one. Like, again, if you don't take, if you don't take Appetite for Destruction. Right. But I, I don't, it's, none of it was ever going to be taken seriously. It's like, they're, they're, they were, like, it's like NSYNC or a Backstreet Boys. Well, yeah, I mean, like, the one review d- described them as, like, the new kids on the block of, like. Sure. It's Terrible. poppy. Yeah, it's pop music. But again, if it's if you're going to call it pop music and pop pop songwriters now are like ruling the industry, Genie Lane was a pop songwriter and he, he did was. a good job. Yeah. And in, in all of the hair metal the douchey sometimes sexist and glory and I again, I don't condone that, but it it is what it is what it was at the time. Mhm. Is there anything else you want to get off in the junk drawer over here? I guess I do kind of want, there is like a soapbox that I, I I think that it's really easy to be hypercritical of, uh, of different musical genres that existed in a specific pocket of time and comparing them to, you know, what, what's going on now. And I think that's really important to do in some cases, but some, some music was a product of the times they were in and we just got to, we just got to view it, view it from that lens. So great. I think that covers Warren's cherry pie very well. I think you did an admirable job of defending something that a lot of people wouldn't even consider defending. Yeah. 
So is there anything you would like to plug on your way out? Oh, I wish I could say yes. I'm, I'm in between music projects right now. I don't have anything like that going on, but... Well, people can find some of your own music online. Yeah, you can find uh, Dead Presley's material on uh, Apple Music or, or YouTube. So that's, that's out there. It's music I still like. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit of it's classic rock and roll influence. I wouldn't say hair metal, maybe, but yeah. Maybe a skosh. Yeah, go check it out. And if I do something in the future... Any other album recommendations, anything you're listening to that you want to think people should check out or maybe overlook things? I could do I could probably do another podcast just on John Mayer. Mm-hmm. I have actually had John Mayer suggested to me by multiple people. So I, I think a John Mayer one will come. But I've also like so many people are suggesting it that it's just like, wait, maybe just people like John Mayer and they're. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think he's criminally underrated as both a songwriter and a guitar player, but uh, I'm loving his new record. New Leon Bridges record is uh, is really fantastic. Awesome. Those two. My my fiance just bought me tickets to see John Mayer in Denver. I'm, I'm really excited. Nice. I just want to watch him play guitar. He's, he's He is an incredible guitar player. And again, he's done some really douchey things in the past, too, so <laughs> not excusing that. Yeah. But great songwriter and guitar player. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Everybody go get your hair metal fix. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love.